So I just want to give you just a, a brief overview of kind of where we're going this morning. Um, I kind of want to begin talking, just kind of give us a diagnostic tool kind of to, to and how we're going to view the text this morning. Just we're, I'm, going to, I'm going to read the text in just a moment, but then I want to spend a couple minutes just trying to asking some questions and, and talking about some things that I really think will help us understand what James is talking about um, this morning. We're going to be in James 2, um, starting in verse 1 this morning. Um, would any of you describe yourself as like a fanboy, a fangirl? You're easily drawn to those with celebrity status um, for, for whatever reasons. Um, think, I want you to think of the, the time when you were the most like starstruck. That when you saw that person that made you just go like, oh my goodness, that's enter name. Maybe, maybe it's an athlete, maybe it's a musician, maybe a politician, maybe an actor, an actress. I want you to think of how that made you feel. What what like emotions did that generate? Now imagine that right now, again, just imagining things, that right now that person was to walk in that door, right over there. What, did something in you change at that point? Are you, are you going to hear another word that I say this morning? Depends on who it is. I may not say another word this morning, but... I feel like I'm the worst at this. Brenna says all the time, you're just a big fanboy. Like, get over it. Because she's the complete opposite of me in that. But what if... So just as you're thinking of what these, these people that, that generate this, like, oh my goodness, that's so-and-so. That, that, that kind of emotion... Like that, so I want to talk more about that this morning. But think now of if a well-known, maybe like a Christian leader walks in, a well-known pastor, a well-known Christian artist, something like that was to walk in. I was going to throw out names. I don't think that's helpful. Like imagine that person walks in. They've got my attention. They've got someone's like, like, oh, hey, Welcome. But at the same time, if another family was to walk in that we don't know, walks in these doors over here, do they, do, do they generate that same level of, oh my goodness, I need to go talk to them? Again, just diagnostic questions as, as, we're, as we're talking, as, as we're going through. I've been thinking about scenarios like that this week, and it's been really convicting for me, honestly, of just like, Man, do, like, why am I drawn to some people, but then maybe not as drawn to other people? What is it? What is it? What lens am I viewing them through in those, in those moments? And maybe an excerpt, maybe it's a crazy example, um, but I think that we tend to do that on a lot of different levels. Viewing people based on class or status or job or fame. And 
The world operates this way. But it's that same kind of mindset that kind of has crept its way into the church in a lot of different ways. Because, but if any places where this, this favoritism, this partiality, this favoring one person over the other, if any place that this should not be, it is the church. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about this. But let's, I'm going to read James 2, 1 through 13. Now that you're thinking about celebrities and athletes and all sorts of people. Um, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. James says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing enter, comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are, you, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the law, the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of it all, of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There, there's a lot of this that, that seems rather like, easy to comprehend. It's like, okay, don't favor the rich person as they walk into the church. Don't, don't, don't favor them over the poor. And honestly, I... I was thinking, like, I don't think any of us would intentionally do that. But I think there's, there's more to it. It's this mindset that James is talking about. I think there's more to it. It, it causes us to ask some additional questions. Some additional questions about the lens with which we view people. And again, I found myself asking a lot of questions this morning. A lot of questions to myself as I was preparing but James thus far has been really this one big introduction. Chapter 1 is just this introduction to the entire letter. And he's been talking about things that the life of the Christian, the life of the follower of Jesus, should look different than the rest of the world. We should, we should look different than the rest of the world. The way we respond to trials, the way our, our life is full of faith, what causes us to boast and what doesn't, the way we finish strong, the way we resist temptation, the way we're quick to, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And then last week, Tanner kind of summed everything up, I think, for this introduction because it's more than just being people who say all those things, who say all those things are true, but it's about actually doing those things. It's not just hearing the word, but it's doing the word. 
But that's going to be in contrast to the ways that much of this world acts, the way they respond to things, the way they treat others. And James 2 here, it's the same, it's still the same theme. He's like the church, the people of the church are to be called out from the rest of the world, are to, are to treat people differently than the rest of the world. Like this church is being called to avoid those same mindsets, that same mindset of the world, of the culture, that says you're more valuable if you have this. You're more valuable if you have money. You're more valuable if you have wealth and, and a certain status in the world. And I think I've, I've said this every week in James. That Remember who James is writing to? These Christians who have been scattered. They've been persecuted. They're kind of scattered throughout. And I think a month or so ago mentioned that most of these individuals who he's writing to, most of these Christians would have been better off, probably financially, better off socially, prior to being scattered about. Most of them would have been better off. And through studying this week, I think this is helpful for me, so I hope it's helpful for you. Um, like in the Roman Empire, the, as James is writing to them, there really was no middle class. Either you had or you didn't have. Um, from everything I read, it was like, and that, that, that middle, that upper class was like 1% of people. Everyone else was, was lower class. There's a lot more people that didn't have anything where that, that top 1% had everything. And, and as you can imagine, the, those rich, that very small group had a lot of control over the laws, over the government, over everything that went on was driven by those who had And if you think about these Christians that James is writing to, as these rich, as they interact with the rich, maybe as the rich find their way into their assembly, it seems like they've begun to treat them differently because these are the important people. These are the people that say, oh, wow, they have. They've begun to treat those people differently. And, And this is what James is warning about. Saying, like, just don't treat them differently as they walk into the church, as they walk into the gathering of believers. Don't treat those that might appear to have more, appear to have wealth. Don't treat them differently. And I think we should be careful to to assume that, that we're not the same way sometimes. Like, social classes are a little bit different in the U.S. Um, but I think if we're honest, I know that if, if I'm honest, we can very quickly begin to treat people differently than others based on a variety of different factors. We respond to people differently based on the status that we think they're at or the kind of job they have. I'm not just talking about within the church, but just, just in general. We, we tend to treat people differently. In, in our world, the, those with wealth are treated with, with honor. They're given more control. Those with impressive jobs or impressive resumes, like they kind of garner the same response. It's just the way our world is structured, the way it's organized. And I, I felt like, just to give you a, a real-world example of this, like most of you know, I work in undergraduate admissions um, at, over at ETSU, and 
a lot of my job is going into area high schools. Uh, I think I've been at every high school within like a 100 mile radius of here, um, talking to students, talking to them about ETSU. Um, I don't do it quite as much as I used to. Um, but a lot of that is wearing an ETSU polo. It's walking, pulling a suitcase full of all these brochures, walk in, check in in the high school. They'll say, oh yeah, the guidance office is down that way. So then I'd wander down to the guidance office. There'd be some schools, two, sometimes 10 students who would come down and talk with me and a little table in the guidance office. Uh, every once in a while, I'd get like 10 or 20 students and it was like, hey, this is a great day. Um, but then usually talk to the guidance counselor and walk out with very little fanfare, very little like, oh, there goes that guy from ETSU. Over the last month, I have gone on five high school visits with the ETSU president. Um, a little bit, and it's been a completely different experience going with the, the president of ETSU. We, we, pull up in the, we pull up to these schools and there's a big sign out front that says, welcome Dr. Nolan. We walk into these schools, usually greeted by the principal, by the leadership team. We walked into Science Hill a couple weeks ago, and there's a guy with a camera there, a guy taking pictures. Um, it's like, what is going on? We had a culinary class that cooked us lunch one day in this, and it was like the nicest lunch I've had in a long time. Like they had it all laid out on this table. And it wasn't 10 or 20 students now. They had the whole junior and senior class come out. Like this whole auditorium was full of people. It's a completely different experience. Like there was a newspaper article about Dr. Nolan visiting Science Hill. There's a video that was circulating on social media of him giving out scholarships and all this stuff. My point is not that they're wrong to treat him differently than they treated me. Like I don't necessarily want that red carpet every time I walk into a high school. But just in the way our world works, we treat people differently based on rank, based on status, based on who they are. Obviously, ETSU, Dr. Noel is infinitely more important than I am. That's just, but that's the way things are structured. Do we not tend to treat people we meet in the same way? Do we interact with everyone the same way regardless of the job we know they have or don't have, or the clothes they're wearing or they're not wearing. Do we treat people, because I, I walked into both of these visits. I had a polo on in one of the visits, and I had a suit on in the other ones. And people automatically thought I was some bigwig with Dr. Nolan. I'm like, <laughs> that's not me. Um, but people treated me differently even in those two settings. Do we do this in the church? Does this happen? Just a question. I think that we can very easily become partial people. Like we, are, we can show partiality in a lot of different ways. Not just talking about the church, but I think it bleeds its way into the church. If you were to walk into any setting... And there's two very distinguished groups of people in those distinguishable groups of people. Are you not going to go to the one that you feel like you're going to relate most with? Maybe it's based on skin color. Maybe it's based on job. Maybe it's based on gender. Maybe it's based on any number of things. We gravitate towards the people that look most like us or maybe act most like us. Again, I'm not, my point is not that that's wrong. 
My point's not that schools are wrong to treat the president of a university different than someone from admissions. My, my point is not that those things are wrong, but that just naturally in the world that we live in, we treat people differently. We often can look at people and have an assumption of who they are based on an external factor, based on a polo or a bow tie, based on ratty clothes or nice clothes, based on a nice car or a not nice car, based on a certain job or no job. We can come to these conclusions very quickly, but that should not be in the church. I don't think it's just true of the church James is writing to here, but I think it can also be true of the church today. Like, do you ever have opinions of people before you actually meet them, before you actually talk to them? We're in a unique setting here. We get to meet all kinds of um, people, all kinds of individuals, all kinds of walks of life, all kinds of backgrounds. But do we ever treat people differently based on how they come in? So we talked about that door a minute ago. I'm going to give us some more examples, some more questions. Just, just imagine on a Sunday morning, a family of four walks in this front door. Very, very, very well put together, dressed nice. They parked a pretty nice car out front. They were going the right way down the street. They pulled in. Very well-behaved children. Very respectful. Walk in very quiet. At the same time, another family walks in this back door. Everything is in disarray. Kids are going nuts. One kid's throwing himself on the floor. The other kid's sprinting circles around here. The parents in tears. But then at the same time, back to this door, an individual walks in who, very tattered clothing, smells like alcohol, not being kind, saying some words that aren't gentle, that aren't good. And I want you to ask yourself a question. And again, this is just more of those diagnostic questions, just things to be thinking about as we look through this lens of this text here. Which of these individuals, which of these families, do you feel drawn towards? Do you feel like you want to go and to, to greet, to get to know? The first question might be, are you going to get out of your chair? Are you going to walk over to greet them at all? I feel like that's something that we as a church can get so much better at is when we see new faces, when we see new families, new individuals, we can go and greet them and welcome them and want to get to know them. That's just kind of across the board statement. I need to get better at this. But really, out of, out of those kind of three examples, which one are we more drawn to? Which one are we more excited to welcome into our, our, our church, our community? My point is not that going to any of those families is wrong. I hope that if those three families all walked in at once, all of those three, that, that they're all greeted, they're all welcomed. My point is not necessarily which one of those are you going towards. 
But why? Why do we treat people differently? Why do we, do we go towards one person or the other? Do we think one's going to be easier for us? Do we think that, that some people are easier? Do we think that some people take more work? Do we feel like one is going to be more needy? Like, who are we welcoming in with open arms and saying, welcome to our church. Please, have a seat. Please, can I get you coffee? Can I, can, can I invite you in? But if we start to distinguish, I, I, I'm going to only go to this kind of person or this kind of person. I'm going to treat this person differently than this person that walks in. James is saying, don't do that. Listen to what he says. This is verse 11. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Pretty straightforward language there. Pretty, like James doesn't pull any punches. He's not holding anything back. We can stand up here and claim that we're doing lots of things right. He's saying, you can stand up here and claim that, that you're memorizing Scripture. You can stand up here and claim that you're holding fast to this doctrine or this doctrine. You can, you can stand up here and claim that we're preaching against immorality or we're keeping the Sabbath. But if we're showing partiality in the way that we treat people, we're guilty of breaking the entire law. Again, it's heavy. It's, it's caused me to ask a lot of questions of myself individually. Like, how am I treating people? How am I interacting with people? How am I valuing relationships? I don't think this is just talking about who we give what seat to in the church. Maybe it's who we sit by at lunch or who we don't sit by at lunch. Maybe it's who we avoid when we walk in. Maybe it's how we talk about different people in the church. Maybe it's who we are drawn to, who we go towards and who we go away from. It's so easy to slip into this mindset. We've talked about this before, of this like us and them kind of mindset. It's easy to start talking about people in this way. James says, as we, in verse 6, he specifically says, as we do that, we are dishonoring, he says, dishonoring the poor man. In that moment, as we're judging some people being more worthy of our time or, or that we want to go more towards, as we do that, we're dishonoring the one that we're judging. And we're judging based on external factors, based on what we see in certain people. What is drawing us towards some people and not others? Like, wh why is this so important? 
Why is James talking so strongly about partiality, treating people differently? Like, church, if we are partial people, if we are treating people in our church differently, then we are going against the very nature of God. It's against God's character. Don't have time to flesh this out as much as we could, but look at Deuteronomy 10.17. It's going to be up here on the screen. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Remember what true religion looks like? Caring, providing, loving. True religion is is doing the word, is loving and serving, meeting needs. And God is not partial in that. The awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Think to the time that Peter was taught this. It's in Acts 10. where It's this, it's this scene where Peter sees this blanket coming down from heaven. He has this vision. And there's all this food on this blanket that is all these animals that would be unclean for him to eat. Immediately he's like, whoa, God, I'm not going to eat anything that's unclean. Like, far be it from me. I'm not going to do that. And what does God say? Don't call things unclean that I am making clean. Gosh, I'm telling Peter, it's not your job to determine what is worthy. It's not your job to determine who is worthy. Listen to what Peter says in response. This is in verse 34. It says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Because our God is not a partial God. It doesn't matter what external appearances may look like. He's not looking at nationality. He's not looking at ethnicity. He's not looking at skin color. He's not looking at social status, wealth, appearance. Like, God is not looking at those things. When God sent His Son into the world to save sinners, He did so to save rich and poor. He did this to save the worst of sinners. But over and over and over again in Scripture, we see God's special care for, the, for those that the world has cast aside. We see Jesus interacting with people in ways that's not through the social constructs, the ways that the world would. He touches the leper. He welcomes the prostitute. He eats with sinners. 
And all through Scripture, we see, all through Scripture, we see Jesus bringing healing and salvation to people, not through a worldly lens, not as the world would see people, but with a different lens. In Scripture, we see the gospel going to the Roman centurion. We see it going to Paul, the Pharisee. We see it going to the poorest of the poor, the richest of tax collectors, to the Israelite, to the foreigner. And look at who Jesus calls to follow him. Fisherman, a tax collector. Got some attitudes in there. Like, these aren't the best and the brightest that the world has to offer, but Jesus said, follow me. You are the ones I want. How could we ever view people in a different way? God is not partial in bringing salvation. John 3 says that whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. It's not limited to a certain class. It's not limited to a certain type of people, a certain economic status, a certain level of wealth. God's not saying you've got to have this to bring to the table. You've got to be, have this to be able to offer. This is a quote from David Platt. He says, when we look at man, we look at the outward appearance, the car he drives, the clothes he wears, the house he lives in, the lifestyle he leads, and we honor him based on these things. But Scripture turns all that upside down and tells us to look at men through the lens of the grace of God and Jesus Christ. Means that when, as we're interacting with people, as people are in our church, new, old, been here forever, been here for 10 minutes. Like when we're looking at people, when we're interacting with people, it's not about what they wear, it's not about what they have to offer, it's not about what they're bringing to the table. But what we're seeing is people who are desperately in need of the gospel that's been given to us in Jesus. The same need that you have, the same need that I have, is the same need that these others have. Like, the way we treat people is supposed to look different than the rest of the world. Not through these same constructs. Not through these same, these same, way, these same ways. Like, there's only one person in the church who's called to be set apart and special. It's not the pastor, it's not the kids room worker, it's not the sound person, it's not a deacon, it's, it's no one other than Jesus. But the only person worthy of glory in the church is Jesus. The same Jesus who became man, who set aside his throne in heaven, was subjected to the harsh realities that you and my I might face, died, handed his life over so that we might be saved. That Jesus is worthy of glory. That Jesus is the one who is set apart. The rest of us are under this equal playing field, this equal place of being desperately in need of Jesus. 
James 1, James 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The Lord of glory. The Lord that is worthy of glory. You see, in the church, the richest of us, the poorest of us, the biggest house, the smallest house, no house, the most degrees, the fewest degrees, the best job, the worst job, no job. Like we are all equal in our need of Jesus. Because as the church, we are called to be set apart. We're called to look different than the world in the way that we treat people. We've been called to be set apart with the gospel as our unity, as, as, as the gospel is our one thing of unity. Tanner has said this many times before. Like A lot of us, we have not much in common. Like We have people who like sports. We have people who hate sports. We have people that love music. We have people that are like, eh, I don't care about music. We've got people who love this and who like that, who have this job and who have that job. We have people who do this and who do that. We're so radically different people with one unifying factor. One unifying factor, and that is the gospel. That is Jesus. That is what Jesus has done. That is our thing that unifies us. It's not jobs. It's not cars. It's not wealth. It's not status. But the gospel. Look at verse 12 and 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Because we're not relying on a law to save us. We're not relying on our own obedience or the ways that we can keep the law. But this law of liberty that we've been given in Jesus, that Jesus came and fulfilled the law, it's a law, it's what Jesus has done that now sets us free. And in that freedom, and in that freedom, we, don't, we can't allow the world, the, the social constructs, the, the way the world works to infiltrate the church because those things don't matter. It's repeated through the entire book of James. It's going to be repeated through the entire book. The religion, authentic religion, real faith, must be evident in our actions. In the ways that we love, in the ways that we treat other people, in the ways that we talk to other people, the ways that we talk about other people, our faith must be evident. I think this is what James is getting at. The same thing he's been saying, he's going to continue to say. Our faith must be evident. Our love must be evident. Because if that is true, if, if Jesus really is the, our sole focus, if we really are a community that is unified on the gospel, then we're going to place value in things that are different than the world. We're going to love in ways that are different than the world. We're going to care for one another in ways that are different than the world. And we're going to begin to see people in the way that Jesus sees people. 
And I just invite you to pray with me that God would give us the same lens, the same gospel lens, that we would not see people through the, thing, through the ways of this world, inside the church and outside the church, but specifically as a community of believers, as a church, that we would really be mature to be grown in ways that defines people not by external factors, but solely through the gospel. I'm going to pray to that God would just continue to unify us on the one thing that unifies us. That even when we are radically different people, even when we are very different, that we would be continually unified around the gospel that saves, the gospel that brings the dead to life, the the gospel that gives new life to us. Let's pray.